where to start? You know, that that's an interesting point because like most of the time when I speak about things like this, it's because I have already a subject in hand. Like I want to express this idea or this subject or this whatever. Or there is somebody that is looking for help or has an issue or whatever. And it just allows me to start like circling that point, right? Showing different perspectives about it. But I, I was thinking about it like a while ago, like what are we going to talk about? You know, it, it, thinking about this dynamic and it's like, hmm, something will flow. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, it's just tough when we both have such broad knowledge that we're going to try to get into a session. Exactly, exactly. It's like, it's just too much information to, to just compress it into a single moment. But well, that's why we're just here trying it out. I feel like, um, I feel like resonance and frequency and energy might be one of the important aspects to, to have understood before consciousness can truly be understood. Because uh, that really is what people are seeking. I completely agree because, well, at least for me and my experience, it has been through this realization of observing this oscillation of everything, vibration, basically, that I can see these patterns that come from them, you know? And the thing is that. Yeah, exactly. It's just waves going back and forth, and we are those waves too. Yeah. Like, and that, and that is energy that condenses down into, into this material is still having that frequency and that oscillation within within that matter. Of course, it's the molecular density, right? The, the stronger the vibration, the, the harder the density, I think it's the, the equation. But I'm not sure, I'm not a physicist or in, in any way. But you can see this reflected like in all stages of, of matter, of existence, of that, or to put it in a better way, I'd say, of the human perception. Yeah, because that's also understanding, like, think about what color is. It's, it's the only uh, wavelength that is not being absorbed by this matter and it's being reflected back into our eye. Exactly. Uh, and so it's just like understanding that all these interactions of light and energy are, are constantly happening. It's just our sensory reality that builds our perception. So everything in, in uh, human consciousness is illusory in a sense because of that well you know it's all dependent on the observer and the shape the observer has if you have a human form then you're gonna just gonna be, be able to perceive this as a human and with the limits that the human has you know it's like based on this vibra the vibrational principle i'd say for example i've been working with cymatics and yes sound can produce geometric shapes but it is dependent on the container and all of the other factors that are like playing a role. Because if you switch the container, it changes everything. And look at the container as the limits of yourself. So right. this energy is resonating with our own body, with our own shape, which is the idea that we are defining of ourselves on the mental plane and on the physical plane. Totally. That, that goes into the question that my friend posed to me for this and about consciousness versus thought. And it's understanding that our thought forms are not ourselves. We are the observer of those thought forms unless we are lacking that consciousness and the thoughts and the reaction to the stimulus, our sensory stimulus plays on autopilot until we can drop into that state. Like most, most definitely me. Like 
in the pre-Hispanic view of the Tolteca, the red road, you could call it, um, there are four stages to, to this realizing, to, to this growth. And what they like focus most upon is on not reacting impulsively to a situation, but on taking a, a stand from where you can observe and get, gain a different perspective of the situation. Responsive rather than reactive. Exactly. And I believe that's the first step of consciousness because consciousness is basically awareness. It's becoming aware of where's your attention, what are you doing, what are your decisions. What's underlying the feelings that we're sensing. Exactly. And the, the question would be, is this, are these feelings we're sensing or is this... Um, is it just vibration? Is it just frequency? Because thought can be measured in frequency. Like brainwave activity is measured in frequency. So this interaction that is happening between all of us, is it, I don't know, is it the, the result of the psychological? Different uh, parts of the brain that are resonating and send out like antennas. And then the mere neural synapses are, are being picked up by other people between those antennae. Exactly. It's not just about the words that are being transmitted. There's a whole other range of communication that is going on all the time. And we are not aware of this. We're not conscious of this because, well, honestly, we never developed it. It's not something that's commonly taught. And it's really easy just to be in that autopilot state of, of just taking what life gives you. And this normally drives us to a victim point of view. Well, that, that's what I've seen most of my life, you know? Absolutely. Just going through life, whatever life gives you, uh, trying to stake your desires, stake your claim, but never actually looking into what is causing the feelings, what is sending the vibrations inside yourself. And I feel like there's so many pollutions in, that our bodies carry that are sending out these their own frequencies, interrupting the flow, affecting that, which can only start being moved when you actually pay attention to where the feelings are coming from. Exactly. And in order to do that, you need to either have a really big curiosity as an explorer, you could say, or go through kind of a hard time that will make you value your life. The soul. Exactly. Like, I, I don't wish this upon anybody, the, the, the dark night, but... Sometimes it's needed, right? Because we're, we're a stubborn type of being. <laughs> when you're happy, you don't have any stimulus to change. Exactly. And it's from chaos that we find a, a way to better ourselves. And it's Everything either that. It's chaos until it's ordered. Yes. It's, it's basically, once again, the perspective. You can either choose to be a victim of all this chaos, or you could be an apprentice from all this chaos. Yeah, it's part of the uh, the law of attraction is understanding how how those vibrations start rearranging themselves to be coalesced rather than combative because like eventually the the waves that are bouncing off of each other will will degrade until there's just one that overtakes and so when we can start sending out these intentions uh, these vibrations intentionally then we can start building order in that chaos like most definitely. I don't know if you, you're familiar with the concept of a standing wave in sound. No. Like, for example, have you ever seen the Rubens tube? Like, it's basically a tube that has a lot of little holes. So you put gas through it and you light them up. Okay. 
And then let's say you put you play sound from one end of this tube, and then the sound waves travel through the tube and bounce back at the other end of the tube and bounce back to the beginning, right? So the waves are, are going through this process that you're describing right now. And what you can see in the on the fire is that well, some of the flames grow higher, other the other flames grow smaller because there are nodes and antinodes. And the thing is that if you reach a point of resonance, of harmony, that it's actually balanced, that it aligns itself, the, the notes and the antinotes of the wave that is going and the wave that is being reflected back, it potentiates, I don't know if, well, potentializes, okay. potentiates, yeah, it gives it like more power, you know, it sums it up, it adds up both the uh, amplitude of, of the waves. And then you get a wave that is a lot more powerful. You're adding up this, and this happens within our body too. For me, that, that's the that point that you're describing. That, that's one of the most important aspects of, of transforming negative energy because most people have this intention and they, they just want to be happy. They, they don't want to look at that grief, the negativity inside. And so they're just like sending these anti-waves at each other that don't get anything. But it's when you actually dive down and start resonating with that grief, feeling it, allowing it to build with you, that it gets released and moved. And then you can start actually building different different energies, different vibrations in that empty space. Of your choosing, which is that freedom that we all have, we can choose. But if we're in the mind, if we're in the, in the thinking mind, we're always going to look for a reason to justify how we're feeling. And then we are imprisoned on this mindset that we cannot be happy unless we have this, or we achieve these, or we black. The thing is that when we lose this, whatever, we lose our happiness. But once again, it's a mindset. And as you're saying, if what we're getting is what we're putting out, we're, we're, just, we're just getting a reflection of this, then instead of feeling, oh, I am alone in this world. I wish I could be with somebody. Ah, this world is, world is so cruel or so lonely or so you know, negative emotions, seeking a positive future. The thing is deciding in this present moment to feel the positive emotions. You don't actually need a reason to be happy. And let me just tell you, like from my experience that ah, I've gone through some rough patches in my life, but those moments have allowed me to realize that when you have absolutely no reason to be happy about, and you actually could name at least a hundred reasons to not be happy about, you get this option, you get this, possibility of choosing to be happy over whatever is happening in your life and if you manage to make this decision to go through with it to actually believe in it and be it you're never going to lose this happiness because it's not based on anything external from yourself it's based within yourself absolutely and that's that's understanding what love truly is because that's we we all know in a sense what love is but it's in its actual sense it's just that warmth of belonging, of knowing that you're okay in this moment, that you're accepted in whatever circumstances there are. And when you can build that inside yourself rather than always seeking external belonging, then you can transform your psyche exponentially. Exactly. The problem is that we've been taught or we've been programmed to find value in the reflection of ourselves. We need to be recognized by others so that we can feel we're worth something. And hence all the love problems in this, in this sense. Like for me, love is this energy that is just thriving. 
as you say, is complete acceptance. It's this energy of well-being that is just basic desire of well-being for everything equally. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people throw out the term unconditional love. I, I prefer using impersonal love and just allowing the energy of love to fill my aura no matter what or who is in it. And then when, when there's people that come through, that love can, can be directed towards them. And then as soon as they leave, it's still there. There's no, there's no loss. There's no change. It's just love that can be shared and, and potentiate with another person. Like I completely agree. Like in the Mexican way of seeing the Nahualismo, which would be like the, the shaman rope, you could call it that way. That is a, a very big point, you know? <laughs> it's the, the personal history has to go. And well, the term unconditional love is also used, but I like this term of impersonal love because it's taking away that personal history. It's not basing that love or affection on who you think you are, but more on a fundamental feeling of just like, I am alive, you are alive, I recognize you and myself and myself in you and just the spark that lights up, right? Totally. It doesn't... Like unconditional love still has a condition of requiring something to love, whereas impersonal love is just existing in it. Hmm, I love that that definition. Most definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because like ultimately, this this personal history is something we are dragging everywhere. It limits us. It tells us who we are and what are our boundaries. Yeah, it can also tell us our skills and what are positive aspects of ourselves. But I believe it has to be broken. Absolutely. Like every single experience that we have is, is burned into neural pathways in our brain. And those pathways are receiving aspects of light and energy that, that are being projected from our internal self through our eyes outwards. And so it's, it's that recognition of where the energy is coming from and how it's getting warped in the brain seeing what did the warping and then intentionally reprogramming and rewiring those neural pathways to be more clear in the connection from from that true source energy at the center of us all that spark of life i completely agree and you have a very clear and articulate way of saying it i love it because it, it is the same path that i've been walking throughout my life right it's it's this search of of a path that can allow you to connect this both ends of the balance, you could say, to reach that center. The God source. Exactly. We're just the medium for it. You know, it's not about, oh, I am big or I am. We are all equal in that, in that sense, right? Totally. And, and that really has been why so many commonalities in spirituality have, have existed in every corner of the globe. Like we're, we're describing the Buddhist path as well right now. Of course, and many other paths too, you know, I could go to Taoism, I could go to even Celtic paths, it's, it's worldwide. As long as any culture has looked within, they will reach the same conclusions, or at least that's what I've reached throughout my life. Is Also, one thing that I'd like to say, it's like, yeah, this might sound interesting, what we're talking about, but at least for me, this is the reflection of two perceptions. This is not any truth. This, this is just another perspective, perspective of things for you to the listener, I mean, 
to compare what you are living with. And if this resonates with you, then act upon it. And if this keeps on resonating, yeah, maybe think about integrating integrating into your life. But don't believe anything that anybody tells you, like experience it by yourself. Because one thing that I realized is that all this information that you can learn, this knowledge, you could call it that way, well, <laughs> it can get in your way, you know? It gets to a point that it just, you, you create this maze of ideas in your mind and you're just trying to, to put all the clues together and trying to find the exit. When you just have to look up, you know? <laughs> it's being grounded in the moment. And what, what you're just describing um, is the origin of the term kill the Buddha on the road. Yeah, I think Buddha used it like the once you go across the river, like get rid of the of the boat. Yeah. Any any belief beliefs are are meant to propel us to the next step. They they don't need to be with us forever. They should be constantly reexamined, and as soon as it stops serving you, it should be dropped and discarded for something new. But then, what's going on? At least what I see is attachment. Why do we attach ourselves to these beliefs or ideas? Usually because of comfort or, or desires. And our ego is, is definitely a huge part of, of that comfortable desire. And spirituality has so many problems with this, like that, that self-important ego that's realized certain aspects of this truth and then gets stuck there. Yeah, as somebody told me once, you know, darkness can blind you, but so, so the light can blind you. Yeah, you can't stare at the sun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, that darkness is just as necessary to to have the density, to have the the time to ferment and grow and and reemerge into the light. Like we are all seeds that got put into the ground, into the dirt, and we have to go through that time underneath before we can sprout and, and return and start transforming that light's energy to, to build and bud. I completely agree, man. Like one analogy I like to use for that is we are in the path of crystallizing our energy. Yes, crystalline DNA. And how are diamonds made? <laughs> Heat and pressure. Exactly, keeping pressure and keeping a temperature, keeping a certain heat. So if, if you realize that your heart can be like a sun, like a fire inside of you, and this love that you feel towards life and towards yourself is this fire, actually. The more you keep it, like, you know, burning, yes, you're going to go through a lot of pressure, through many experiences. But if you manage to find the perfect balance between these two, you're going to crystallize this energy. It's this process, you know, through which carbon, because ultimately we're carbon beings, <laughs> get transformed into a, a diamond, you know, a crystal. Absolutely. Every single heartbeat is that compression. And as soon as we start working with that heartbeat, instead of fearing, instead of counting, instead of waiting for it to end, then we can realize the chemical transformation that's going on in every single one of those impulses. It's sending heat and electricity and blood to every corner of our body. And it's at that point, right, understanding the relationship is 90% is energy gets sent from the, the heart to the brain. 
and only 10% gets sent from the brain to the heart. And like really tapping into that, into the center of your being rather than being caught up here. Uh, that's a transformative experience. Like most definitely also realizing that your mind is not actually your mind, that all the thoughts that you're listening to all the time, they're not necessarily you. There's something you're tuning into and something that is being influenced by your idea of yourself, yes. But oh, you have to start observing like from a, from a third person perspective, point of view like stepping aside, right? Instead of just reacting to those thoughts, start observing them. And for me, this is the concept of the consciousness that becomes aware of the consciousness. And it's a cycle that also never ends because this consciousness can become aware of the consciousness that is becoming aware of the consciousness that just became aware of the consciousness that keeps on going, right? <laughs> totally. Interesting. And it's kind of similar to the same structure you can find, for example, in a dream, when you start lucid dreaming. Like many people that can lucid dream or remember their dreams, they wake up in a dream, right? So, you know, you're like aware that you are aware. <laughs> and unfortunately for most people, that's when the dream stops. When you realize this, you know, it's like something pushes you out. It's like, oh, damn it. I was, uh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's, it's learning how to direct that consciousness. And it's like the same way how when you're watching TV, your, your entire vision can be on that screen. And you can completely be blind to anything else. Like it's, it's that application of consciousness. Um, similar to ways where pe certain people, uh, certain monks can make parts of their body swell up with, with blood just by thinking about it. But that, that directional consciousness is really the potential of humanity. The, the reason why we're conscious creators. Most definitely. That, that's the tool that, for example, in the Nahualismo, they would call the voluntad which is willpower but that's the tool that allows well th this terms might sound kind of strong <laughs> uh, but in this path of nahualismo you start the path of the warrior camino del guerrero and when you acquire your willpower which is absolute control over your attention then you are no longer just a, a warrior you have reached a new level a new step where they call you you, you can be called a brujo Because, well, brujo, it might sound like a negative word, and that, that's why I say, I excuse myself about these words, because there's negative connotations to them, right? Okay. But it's just referring to somebody that has this creative power, that is conscious of this creative power, because we're all attention. If you think about it and feel about it for a second, it's attention, intention. It's just where are you directing the energy? <laughs> Absolutely. And that, that's how you get... Uh, Bruhas, I'm thinking about Shaolin monks as well from a lot more popular culture. Like that, that just prowess and ability to in self mastery. Yeah, please go ahead. Oh. Um, yeah, it's just. Um, Shaolin monks like they, they have that history of, of being like steeled steeled attention complete laser focus and the ability to steel themselves against incoming hits to to be able to break stones and, and beat trees down 
It's, it's all that spiritual intention, all that spiritual power that's, like you said, the intention, the direction, the awareness. Yeah, direction of energy. Like they call it chi in this sense, yeah. right? We're just projecting chi or ki or however you want to call it, energy. <laughs> yeah. I, I see it spelled XI, I see it spelled CHI, I see it spelled QI, but they're all the same word, even though those, those straight like half the globe, those three ideas. And it's funny that they all have the same vowel sound. Yeah. And the, this vowel sound, well, from my experience, I can relate it directly to the solar plexus. Mm. Which is kind of an interesting thing for me because, well, I see it the color yellow, also like color of the sun. Same. But the thing about it is that between this, the sacrum chakra and the solar plexus, like in this sacrum chakra or sacrum, how do you say it in English? Sacral. Yeah, sacred sacred. Sacred. <laughs> the sacred chakra. Yeah. That's where we keep all our energy. That's where we store most of energy, our energy. For example, most of the, the martial art teachings that teach us how to use our energy, let's say Tai Chi, Kwai Wong, uh, even Falun Dafa, if you want, they all center on collecting and accumulating your energy, refined energy in this point. But what happens when the chakra underneath it is open? And what I mean is that it has holes in it, you know? You're draining out your energy through your sexual tensions and through your fears, through your attachments to it. So the point of this, or the, the way I see it is, the, all this energy that is being stored in there, first it has to be stored securely, stop draining the energy. And then the ability to actually direct this energy consciously, it comes from this point from the solar plexus. It's right. the unison of, of this, this two uh, vibrational centers in our body. Yeah, and physiologically, the sacral chakra is also the location of digestion, which is where you gain physical power from ingestion. Exactly, that's the, the main, the, the, the cells of our battery, you could call it that way. That's where the chemical reaction is going on. <laughs> yep, and with that directional awareness that that harnesses creative energy instead of spending it on whatever that begins to rise up through all of the chakras. And when you, that, that is the serpent of Kundalini that's climbing the, the medical symbol, which is the staff with two, two serpents going on it. That's the spine that's being climbed up so that that energy can reach the halo once again and properly shine through aura. Yeah, this is a very strong symbol, you know, uh, being a symbol that we used by many ancient cultures and mostly by people that knew this secret, that could realize this principle and share it. This, this uh, ascending of Ida and Pingala, the, the serpents of the Kundalini, and the way they go ascending in like a, like a wave, you know, they meet at some point, then they go away from each other and they go back again and they go away from each other and it's like nodes and anti-nodes. Also, like um, the structure of the DNA's double helix. Exactly, it's the same structure. You know, it's the same principle of the standing wave that I was that I was referring to. Mm. And the chakras, they are just like the resonant points between this Rubens tube that is our human form. <laughs> <laughs> and that that's also funneling the the Ouroboros between chakra and aura, because the chakra is the inner that intake that. That is then exuded outwards to 
to be in our outwards aura, which has other auras and other universal energies interacting within it, which comes back through the root to feed ourselves once again. Like most definitely, it's this uh, torus shape that, that surrounds us. I think that's the easier way to visualize because firstly, it is happening. You know, there is a, tor a toroidal uh, field around our bodies that is being generated by every beat of our, of our heart. But, and this is an electromagnetic field. So it that's, does exist and it can be measured. That's the reason why certain people creep you out. Yeah, just by approaching somebody enters the room and you can feel them. You can feel their intentions through your attention. It just depends on how focused you are with your attention, you know? How much clarity you have in your own internal projections and your own internal fears and pains. Because in, before you clean any of those out, then you're always just going to be stuck in that cycle. Yeah, these are attachments. The same way we can attach to an external person, we can attach to an idea of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, I was born in Mexico and... In the north of Mexico, it's like common family tradition to make a carne asada on the weekends. So everybody gathers up and they, they all get pissed drunk and they, they make all the types of meat you can think of, right? So let's say that you were born within this niche, within this community. And you realize at one point that, hey, maybe I want to stop eating this way. You know, I want to start experiencing a different way of feeling my body. You know, I want to see how it is if I don't eat meat. But then, boom, there is a big issue because it's not just the idea of letting go meat or the moral and ethic issues of meat eating and vegetarianism and veganism. It's more about, it's something that you connect with yourself because you've done it since you were a kid. And it reminds you of your family. It reminds you of all these feelings and emotions that you cherish. It reminds you of all your loved ones. It, it's something that it is so attached to the idea of yourself that it would be so hard to let go. And if you do, you would never forget it because you would still be attached to those feelings or those emotions or those people. And for me, this is the, the concept of personal history because this is not a bad memory. You could say it that way. It's actually something positive from our lives that is preventing us from experiencing new, new states of being. So that is why detachment, I think, is, is one of the main necessities in order to advance in this world. You need Absolutely. to be weightless. Because you can't be fully present in the moment if a part of you is still stuck in the past. Or the future. Or the future. That's true. Or uncertainty. You know, the thing is that the human mind is quite a curious thing. You can actually create a whole fantasy within your head and get lost there. Yeah, it's true. It's just your physical body that's going to remind you, hey, man, I need to eat. I need to sleep. I need to. Yeah. You can live in La La Land as long as you want, right? Yeah, very true, very true. And it will be true for you. So that brings me to a point where it's like, I think of this. If we, if we let our personal history dictate so much of who we are in our lives nowadays, and our personal history is just this story that we tell ourselves from the memories that we have or that we think we have <laughs> on our chronological... Yeah, because what, what's telling you that those memories are real, right? You're just living this moment. Every, every time you access a memory, the next time you go back to the memory, you're accessing the memory of the memory. And that's why things degrade over time. Damn, that just gave me a chill down my spine, man. <laughs> it's like the more you want to hold on, the farther away you'll go. <laughs> <laughs> 
but the more open you are, the more closer it'll be. So it's this kind of a, it's this other principle of life that also brings me to that point. It's like contraction and expansion, this tension and relaxation, these two breath. stages. The breath. Inhalation and exhalation, the tides going in and out. The seasons even, and from the pre-Hispanic point of view, they add another two steps to this, which would be the emptiness and the fullness. So you've got the emptiness, the winter, where there is no, not enough light, you could call it that way. Then you start with the spring, it starts ascending, we start inhaling. And then there's movement, right? But then you get to a still point where you are full. The same goes with the weather, with, this, with the stations where we reach the, the solstice, right? It's half and half, you're getting as much light as possible, right? You're full. <laughs> and now from that point, there's only one way to go. We start exhaling, we start descending, the autumn starts happening. If you actually like think of this process, it goes, it applies to everything in life, everything you do and everything that is happening. The, that's one of the main points that we have to be aware of when we are going through life because we skip two of these points normally when we are just reacting to life. What I mean is that uh, the ascending and the descending. We're just in those two, you know, it's like a constant roller coaster that is going up and down, the, the tides of the sea that just go up and down. But if you were to just spend a second of your attention in the emptiness or in the fullness and realize them for what they are, just the stage within the cycle, you wouldn't be so engaged with this up and down. You would be able to recognize the pattern and observe it from a more neutral perspective. Absolutely. That's a big part of, um, of Qigong breathing is recognizing those four stages of breath and having, having conscious awareness of that pause at the top of inhalation and at the bottom of exhalation before the cycle starts again. And when you skip that step, that's hyperventilation. And that can take you to other places, right? But it's like I've heard of this or tried this Wim Hof method. Oh, yeah. Wim Hof's great. It's quite interesting, you know, when he is exploiting this hyperventilation, like super oxygenation way of breathing, like if you're doing um, pranayamas, like really strong fire pranayamas, um, to, to be able to reach that calmness within you. <laughs> I don't know if you tried it, but it's quite a, kind of a very nice experience, you know, to be able to spend five minutes without taking it's a single breath of air and not feeling that you need it. That's, that's interesting. I, I've reached that point on the opposite end more often um, with, with meditations where, where your lungs get so relaxed that there aren't actually contractions for inhalation, but your, your airway is open enough to just allow the, the air to tran transfer through your lungs without without needing to, to press in and out. That's the, the opposite deeply meditative state. I think it's called embryonic breathing, if I recall correctly. Mm, that's interesting. I got to look into that. Right? <laughs> that, that came from craniosacral uh, teachings. I'm also Qigong as well. But very powerful place to get to. It takes a, a really deep state of relaxation that most people can't consciously drop into because there's so many tensions on the surface. It's like trying to look into the bottom of a pond that just won't stop moving, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
right. you need to let it settle but it's something that takes time you need to first stop making waves and then let it settle mm -hmm. but, uh, go ahead. Uh, one thing that i wanted to say is that i completely recognize this this path but i also seen and experienced the other path like through agitation through uh through dancing for example through like in the ancient times the pre-spanic people they would spend four days dancing around the fire non-stop no sleep no water you would dance you follow the same boom in circles dun, dun, dun. and every step is aligned with a drum a drum that is aligned with your heart so it, it's like a mandala right it's it's this resonance that it's in perfect unison and some would say four days dancing like that you, you're crazy man you, you would drop dead like honestly a very good friend of mine a woman she was pregnant and she did this four days four nights also and the baby's perfectly healthy <laughs> like not, 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 some some people like jumped up that it's like what she did what like she's also in this path and she's conscious about it and she would not never put her child in any danger because what i see is that you you define these limits and you decide what affects you and what's not what doesn't affect you absolutely because the aspect of consciousness is about being able to transform energy within yourself and stop needing to consume as much as as you thought you did and that is a very interesting principle because I've heard like many times the term reptilians or the reptiles or the reptilian paranoia and all this. And I really don't want to speak about paranoias, but I do want to make a correlation between the reptiles and the lower vibrations. Like considering a reptile is a, a cold-blooded being in the sense that does not produce its own heat. It needs an external source of heat in order to survive you know it can manage fine without heat for a while it can spend hibernating for a long time but at some point or another it's going to require some heat for it to go on and for me comparing this principle if you look at many cultures for example the egyptian culture where they put the the birds the feathers up high in the third eye right where they put the the reptiles down by the sexual reproductive organs and it's this two two sides of the coin it's just the two ends of one vibration two perspective perspectives of the same thing one is spectrum yeah so it's just about becoming aware of this and the more we drain our energy in this lower vibrations the more we are in tune with all of this reptile world you could call it i i like to think of the reptilian brain which is referencing the, the lower aspects closer to the the spinal cord that are a lot more just basic uh underneath the emotional connections just more reactive and um, fear-based survival-based like most definitely like that, that's the main point of it you know i'm pretty sure that's why they it's got it its name <laughs> mm -hmm. totally yeah. that, that lower aspect compared to when you can start living out of the third eye and the crown and be connected to to the higher aspects by actively placing your consciousness through that gate and how you do that by controlling your attention by by examining yourself and every every piece inside of you so that the energies that are that are resonating and getting lost either to sexuality to fears to, to fears to to foods um they the, the more that you can pay attention to those and, and accept them the way they are the more that they can 
find that reverberation and start casting themselves upwards. Yeah, no, almost definitely. It's like, sorry if I don't uh, respond sometimes. I just, okay. I'm a visual person and you tell me something, so I visualize it in this. I was just visualizing this one. But. I, I saw a, a video the other day about a guitar and it was, it was mapping the different spots inside the guitar, inside the acoustic body where different notes resonate in different parts. So like one note would be in the top compartment and the bottom compartment, whereas another note would just be a, to overtaking the entire large compartment. And it was really fascinating just to see every different tone reverberating in each different spot. And understanding like there are those seven tones, there are those seven chakras, and they all have their purpose and alignment. And when you can find the song that is singing in those resonance, in those frequencies within ourselves, then you can start singing and dancing with it and making it come to life, giving it art, giving it space, giving it beauty. Like most definitely, I think that that's what we what we are here for, man. I love those words. It's about connecting with that, you know, without the mind interfering through it, just feeling what I like to call intuitive perception. You just feel it and don't judge it. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's the emotional intelligence that is being seen through the mind's lens. And, and that's how we interpret things. And the clearer the mind, the clearer that lens, the, the more clear our life is. Mind is a, a, a great servant, but a terrible master. And the fact that we, Western society is, is so egregiously focused on the mind, focused on that, that mental state, hyper-intelligent, hyper-rational, and, and discarding of emotions, that just means that we, it doesn't mean that our emotions aren't affecting our mind. <clears throat> it just means we aren't recognizing where the emotions are affecting our mind giving ourselves blind spots by pretending that emotional intelligence is weaker, it's feminine, it's, it's something that doesn't matter as much. And it, it's that, that prejudice, that, that dogma that's so prevalent in, in today's hyper-scientific world that has, has disconnected us from that true essence of reality. Most definitely. But once again, like some people say, oh, we're being programmed and uh, the media and the systems and all this, they, they, it's, it's their scheme. It's a plan to keep us like unaware. But at the same time, I would say, yeah, maybe there's some people trying to control other people. I'm sure of that. But what they're doing is also creating pressure, resistance. Absolutely. It's all part of this divine drama. So, yeah, it's not about getting caught once again and who's doing good and who's doing bad it's just about being alive and feeling life in the moment absolutely and sometimes like as people come to me and tell me hey well th this is quite interesting like i like all of this that you're telling me but how can i start you know i want to like what's the first step that i have to do <laughs> it's like yeah all of this is really good but i need to find the the, the first step and what I like to tell them is the intention. Because, yes, we've talked about how we define our reality through our attention, where we focus our attention. But it's like if I told you, are you aware of your breathing right now? Most likely you're not. Now I am. And now you are. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that in a minute or two, it's, you're not going to be again. Mm -hmm. 
And actually, if you made a conscious effort to retain that consciousness of your breathing and say, yeah, I'm not going to allow anything else to distract me. I'm going to be as conscious of my breathing as long as I can. I dare you, you're not going to be, well, if you have experience, you can do it for hours on an end, right? But if you don't do this much, you're going to drift off in less than five, 10 minutes. And it's not a bad thing. It's just how we are wired at the moment because it's like a muscle that you've never actually trained or exercised. So it's weak. So for that, in order to start moving it, we need to define an intention. Because without a clear intention, what is it that you want to do? Maybe if it, your intention is simply, I want to explore. <laughs> I am curious. I, am, I want to find out more. That might be your intention. You know, it doesn't have to be like a certain unreachable goal or something that you have to. It's just something that gives you direction. Because other people like myself, like I've gone through a lot of stages in that sense. I think we all do too. Like I've ran away from reality. The same way that I've ran towards reality. Right. And it's just about what's your intention? And right now, with how much chaos there is in the world, I feel like one of the most important intentions we can set is finding that inner peace for ourselves. And everything else can be born from that, you know? It just starts resonating. Because uh, just as we were saying at the beginning, like this law of attraction, if you're feeling despair and anxiousness and stress and whatever, you're going to attract more of that. Because that is what you need in order to break through that cycle. Because if you're feeling like stress about something in your life and then you get a lot of comfort, but you still have that thing that's making you stressed, you get a lot of comfort on the other, on the other hand. It's, it's an issue that's never going to get resolved within you. So, Enabling. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the biggest one of the biggest places where people fail with the law of attraction is when they get caught in their wants and their desires because you can think about how much you want something how much how much your better your life your life would be when you get that thing but anytime that you're in that state the emotional center of your being is that of lack i don't have this i i'm not going to be happy without this i don't have enough and that's what you start really manifesting in yourself so that, that's how you get so many rich people who are still severely depressed and don't really know where to go for their happiness after that, after all their collection. Yeah, because this was an idea that was sold to them in the first place. Like, everybody wants to be happy. As we're saying everybody wants to feel accepted. And if somebody battered in the idea that if I become millionaire, I'm going to be accepted by everyone, so I'm going to be happy. Well, my granddad, he died with two and a half million dollars in his bank account. All he could think of for the last 10 years of his life was that everybody wanted to steal his money from him all the time. Yes, he had a big mansion with a country club and whatever, but he was miserable, honestly, mate. Like he drank every single day trying to run away from reality. And this, this showed me, well, quite a big lesson from that point, you know? A man that has it all physically, materially, but... Well, he, he was married and my grandmother, he, he stayed with him until he died. But still, like, it was never enough. He was never satisfied. And he was always fearful of losing that which he had built. 
So when I saw that, it's like, yeah, I never want to be that. You know, I never want to be in that situation ever. See that physical physical wealth was no representation of real happiness. Yeah, most definitely. It was more about connecting with yourself, because I don't know. That's what bothered him the most, right? In the, in the case of my family, because he had this resentment towards his kids that did not want to follow the the business type of life, and he he liked to control everything with money. He was like, hey. Come sit down, have breakfast with me. Here's ten dollars. If you have breakfast with me. Mm. So suddenly the kids grow up and they're like, "Yeah, we don't want that." You know, and he's like, "I'm powerless. All of this that I made—that I was such a powerful person in my world—it doesn't work in my personal life. It cannot buy me affection. It, the realization of money will not buy you acceptance, or at least not true acceptance." the facade of acceptance while people want your money exactly and that's exactly what he was afraid of yeah and that, that was his life you know it was a hell i mean it was not all like that all the time but it's kind of a hard way of going through life honestly absolutely because he, he built himself a life where he didn't have any real love exactly because um, what i believe he was missing the most was this love for himself But once again, it's the idea that he was taught and how we are supposed to act and what's becoming somebody in life and doing something of your life. Absolutely. And that's, that's generational karma right there. Also, yeah. like He, he was born in, a, in Montreal with, with no money in a, with, in a poor family. He ended up in Vegas running Sands Hotel and doing whatnot. <laughs> and he, he built it all by himself, you know, in this sense. And then he died in the same way, you know, alone, completely alone. And for the same reason that he wanted to get all these riches, that, that's what he could never actually achieve. He felt that he achieved it for most of his life during he, uh, his high point, you could call it that way. But as you say, it's just uh, this illusion. It's not really real, you know, it's just a facade. Absolutely. And... That, that really is the crux to the entire spiritual journey is understanding that our illusions are real as long as we make them real. And they, all of our illusions have a per point and a purpose for their existence. It's not trying to, to discard them for the sake of discarding them, but it's trying to see what was building that illusion so that we can start building our own illusions on top of it, ones that we choose. Exactly. The thing is that we get stuck in the why. Why is this happening to me? Why? Why? Why did I do? <laughs> yeah, victimizing mentality. Which is for what? Because the same why could be applied, you know? Or actually, I'd say, what am I to learn from this instead of, well, why is this lesson being presented to me instead mm -hmm. of why is this happening to me? Yeah, that, that, that is a very different question for most people. From the why to the what? What is causing this for me? In the end, it's just the reflection of the reflection of the reflection because it's funny because it's ourselves that is causing all of these experiences to ourselves. Hmm. Or at least that's my belief, you know, that everything that happens in your life, you are making it happen in your life. 
we, we do create this reality for ourselves, but we always have to have compassion for people who are truly victims of the patriarchy, of people who are causing them active harm, who are poisoning waters on, on native reserves. And that really is what I feel like is going to be the coming transformation is because like there's so much anxiety, so much grief that's causing people mental illness because there's a lot of grief in the world that isn't being recognized, isn't being healed. And it's, it's going to be that empathy, that reconnection, that drive to start fixing this planet earnestly for general population that I feel like it's, it's really important to finding that inner peace. Because as long as we're, we're just trying to ignore it, sweep things off to the side, it, it, you're never going to actually reach that center. It's always the, the empathy and that compassion that really grounds. I completely agree. I just wanted to add something to that. For me, there's a big difference, or at least once again, they're just words and concepts, but compassion and empathy. I don't agree that much with compassion. I do with empathy. And the reason for compassion, I don't agree that much. It's because it's a dividing type of term. Where compassion is, you have to set yourself apart from the, the one you're observing and then define two different situations. Either he's doing bad or he's doing good. So maybe this is a term like it's more, more used in that way in Spanish. I don't know if in English it's the same difference or not. But empathy for me, it's like putting yourself in the shoes of the other person, feeling what the other person is feeling. Instead of saying, oh, poor boy, they're having a shit time. I should go and help them. Because just by saying that, it's like, okay, so you're positioning yourself in a better position than them. You're judging, you're defining, you're dividing by this, you know, like they are bad, I am good, or they are in need of help, and I should provide this help. And this is a division, where by empathy, it's like, I can feel the other person. And whatever happens, what happens, you know? But without this judgment of, of dividing the two. That's fair. And... For me, I, I imagine compassion more as the ability to hold empathetic space for another person. The ability to recognize that, that they are suffering where from something that I am not necessarily suffering from. And so I can lend my grief and, and lend my emotional capacity into that person for that moment. I mean, that's a beautiful way of putting it. Uh, for me, that's just empathy, like pure empathy. As you're saying, once again, it's just concepts, right? Like concepts of the mind. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, the sun is going away over there. Huh? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I, I feel like this was a, a pretty good talk. We, we can go on for hours and hours. But oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we have to, to set a limit to it you know, at some point. Exactly. Give people a reasonable length to listen to. And process it, yeah. We can do like six-hour ongoing chat, but yeah. Uh, the, the thing is that this has to be processed, and it's sometimes it's too much information just to try to to put it all at one single point, like we were saying at say at the beginning. But yeah, I think it was a pretty interesting talk. A lot of interesting subjects were touched and mentioned upon. It. Definitely. And hopefully people will listen to this and give us feedback and ask us questions for us to go into future sessions with so we can be more direct and, and 
and what people are looking for. Oh, for sure. I would love to have some input from everybody, you know, even complaints if you want, you know, criticism. <laughs> like it. It's it's all good, you know, it all helps you grow. It's just reflections. <laughs> Hopefully constructive criticism. <laughs> yeah, preferably, yeah. I don't mind that much for the trolls out there, but still, you know, everybody has their place. <laughs> Well, I think that that's the session for today, right? <laughs> session one. All right. Session one you. done.